Um, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about <coughs> generosity for a few weeks because um, I just received this thing that was so amazing. I feel a little bad about it because uh, it, I feel bad because, you know, here we are talking about generosity and, and then I get this and, and it, it promises me, uh, well, it promises me financial freedom and it's amazing and so I thought I'd share it with you. It says, uh, Larry Anderson, you have been pre-selected. So I was not just selected, but I was pre-selected. That means I was selected before I was selected, which is amazing. They're so excited about me that they selected me before they selected me. And the letter goes on to say, in this new year with your new card, so this is from people giving me a brand new card. I didn't even ask for it. They're just giving it to me. Um, you can exercise your new financial freedom. So people with outstanding financial credentials like yours deserve an outstanding credit card like ours. Awesome. It's actually a platinum, gold, silver, double uranium card. You have to have a lead-lined wallet just to carry it. It's amazing. And um, <laughs> the letter goes on to say, our credit line matches your financial intelligence. In other words, I get a smart rate reserved for smart people. Apparently, dumb people have to pay even a higher rate or something. I'm not quite sure how that works, but... Um, plus, with every dollar you spend, we will give you bonus points that raise your credit ceiling. In other words, I can borrow everything I can today, and I'll be able to borrow even more tomorrow. It's, it's, it is. It's amazing. Okay, so here's what a great rate like this goes on to say. With a great rate like this, it makes sense to use your credit card and use it often. The sooner you start using your credit card, the sooner you start saving. Just do the math. <laughs> the more you spend, the more you save. Now, now to give me uh, more, even more freedom, no matter how much money I use, they'll let me make a minimum payment uh, that are just a fraction of what I actually owe them. And, and then there's some stuff that's really unimportant, so they write it really small and fine print on there. But I thought it would actually be interesting to look at it for us. So. Um, I have it here, it says, um, uh, th this is my ticket to financial freedom. It, this is the way you can figure this. It says the average credit card debt in the country, uh, which at this time is uh, about 10,000, a little over $10,000 per person in the US. The interest rate for this particular offer and many over the years have run as low as 24.99%. <laughs> then the minimum payment you could make on this much debt is $213.58. That's hardly anything. That's, you know, we can do that. Okay, so you might be kind of interested if you make the minimum payment, how long does it take you to be free and clear? $10,000 credit card debt, it's interesting thing. They, let, let's say you make a minimum payment every month and you never miss a single payment and you do this for a decade. After 10 years, you've paid $26,930, but you owe $11,790 on a $10,000 debt credit card. If you're astute, you'll have noticed that you owe more now than, than you did and when, then you got started because that's the way interest and minimum payment works. Let's say you double your efforts. You say, I'm not gonna give, uh, give up on this and you go another 20 years and you don't miss a minimum payment ever. By year 20, you now have paid $56,000 plus, but you now owe $13,000.
on your credit card. You're a person of perseverance, so you keep going. For 50 years, half a century, you're making minimum payments every month. By year 50, you paid $165,000, and you now owe $17,515. Now, you're quite old, and you don't give up, and you get your family to go on with this after you die, and if you extend it out, by the year 1,000, I'm not making this up, by the year 1,000, you'll have paid $5.1 billion, but your heirs will st still owe $212 million on the credit card. It turns out, see, that the freedom to get and to acquire and to borrow and hoard ends up as a kind of bondage in a lot of ways. I, I did it even a more simple one. Let's see how it works out. If you just make a the uh, minimum payment on $10,000 of debt at 15% interest, it will take you just under 28 years to pay your credit card off at a cost of $12,000. And we, ha we get those offers of, for financial freedom uh, on a regular basis. And I suppose there's a reason that Timothy said in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money, uh, is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You know, it's in light of this verse that it, does, it doesn't it stand to reason that the love of giving money moves us away from all kinds of evil too. It does, and it's a freedom from evil that's a beautiful thing. It's the freedom that we get that's a beautiful thing. So, we have this credit card idea, uh, we have this way to get financial freedom, but there's a minority report out there, and that minority report comes from Jesus. And, and there's an alternative to the wisdom that's embedded in the, that, that we get from the kingdom of God, and it's about generosity in our lives. And, and we get this idea of freedom that we talked about generosity last week, and this week we, we want to talk about generosity that produces freedom in our lives. And freedom's sort of an interesting thing uh, for us because most of us, when we think of this idea of freedom, uh, we think that it's a freedom from restraints. It's a freedom from anything that would encumber us. It's, a, uh, it's to be able to do anything that we want and to live any way that we want. And, uh, and so that idea of freedom that I can go anywhere I please, I can do anything I want, I have no restrictions, I have nothing that holds me back, that that's complete freedom. Or, or maybe for some of us, this idea of freedom comes with the, with the idea of security, that I'm so secure that I never have to worry about anything. I'm so secure financially. I'm so secure in all of my relationships. I'm so secure in all that I do that, that I never have a worry in my life and that I have complete freedom. And, and what the scripture tells us is that that's not the definition of freedom at all. That's not what freedom really is. But what, what the scripture tells us that freedom is, is being able to live the way God created us to live. Being able to live in harmony with the way God created us. Now, when I talk to kids sometimes, I'll, I'll use an illustration of a train. It's kind of a simple illustration, but, but you see a train that's, that's chugging down the, the railroad line, and the train is on these tracks, and the train is completely confined to railroad tracks. It, it doesn't go off-road. A train doesn't go anywhere but where the tracks lead it, and, and so we could feel really sorry for that train, and we could say, you know what, train, be free. Go off the tracks. 
go off-road, climb a mountain, go to the beach, go where do you want to go, train, you're completely free. But we know what would happen if we did that, right? That the train would bog down, that the train would crash, that it wouldn't be able to go anywhere because a train was created to operate on those tracks. And when a train is on its tracks, it's completely free to be exactly what it was created to be. And God has created those tracks for us. And he says, when we operate on his tracks, we're completely free to operate exactly the way he created us. That's what we want to look at this morning. Now, there's three things that I want to share. There's a bunch of things, but there's three things in particular that I want to talk about this morning that, that keep us from being free, that keep us from freedom. And the first one that I'd like us to think about is, is fear. Matthew 6, 25 says it this way. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body and, more, um, and the body more than clothing? And what Jesus is telling us is that some of us live in fear, uh, that we try to uh, camouflage it with our bravado, we try to camouflage it with our boasting, uh, but it's there all the same. It's it's a fear, it's it's a fear of being vulnerable to the harshness of life. It's a fear of not being prepared for whatever comes. It's a fear of the unknown. It's all kinds of fears that, that we live with. And the great truth is that worry that Jesus talks about is the evidence of our deepest fears. What do you worry about? What do you worry about when you go to bed at night? What do you worry about when you wake up in the morning? What do you worry about during the day? That, that, that worry tells you what your deepest fears are. What do you really fear? And we live with that fear. Jesus had a lot to say about people who were immersed with fear and worry. They worried about death. They worried about where their next meal was coming from. They worried about having enough stuff to protect them against the elements. And, and we're no different. We've just, uh, we've just packed a little bit more insulation into our lives. We're relatively wealthy people, especially, yeah, I know you may not feel like that, but when we compare ourselves to the rest of the world, well, we're all relatively wealthy people. We've thought that our money may buy us a few more years, keep us well fed, keep us protected from all the bad things that might otherwise happen, but we can't pretend that our fears don't exist, that they're not gnawing at us somewhere in our hearts. And we have to take a long look at our tendency to address these fears by simply acquiring more stuff. If I can just pack more things into my life, if I can just get that next if I can just fill myself up with the next thing and I can get my hands on the next thing that makes me feel better, I can, I can get rid of my fears. I can cover my fears. I can stop being afraid. But we can't pretend that our fears don't exist. Worrying, Jesus points out, never extended a life by a single hour. Some of us are going to want to resist this challenge by protesting that we never worry, we never, you, you, you'll never see me, you know, paralyzed by fear, you'll never see me anxious about worry, you'll never, you know, don't ever let them see a sweat, well, people will never see me anxious or worried about anything, but what we might see if we looked close enough 
is that many of us are working harder and harder, keeping our eyes on trying to stay ahead of whatever might catch up to us, that we worry about all the potential downturns in the economy and the value of the things that we own. We worry and it can drain all of the joy out of our lives. And we find we live that way. In the New Testament, Jesus is aware that those who don't know him are great worriers. And the reason they worry is because they do not have any sense of a God who cares for them. They have no sense of a God who loves them, who gave himself for them, of all of God's generosity that's available to them. And because of that, nothing else can take that spot. Nothing else can fill up that hole. And they worry. That They live in fear. So... <laughs> We get stories like, and, and new words, like I, I know, I, I invent words sometimes, but we invented a new word in our culture recently called affluenza. Have you heard the story about the kid? He was 16, this wealthy kid, and he got drunk and he drove his car and he hit a bunch of people and killed people. And, and then when they took him to court, uh, the, the, the defense attorneys, his defense for this kid was he had this disease called affluenza, that he was so wealthy and he was so spoiled that he didn't know right from wrong and he couldn't possibly be guilty of a crime because how could he know any better because he was so affluent. He was so wealthy. And we created a word just for this kid because we, we need titles, we need words for, for diseases like that. He was so spoiled He's been entitled to so much stuff that he was afflicted with this. He didn't know right from wrong. And it, it brings us to my second idea for us this morning. The, the first is that we live in fear, and the second is simply this, that you're going to serve somebody. We live in fear, but also you're going to serve somebody. Now, when I was young, Bob Dylan wrote a great song called You're Going to Serve Somebody. And it said, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And that's the truth, that we all serve somebody or something. Whether we like to believe it or not, we're either going to serve the God of the universe or we're going to serve our own selfish selves or we're going to serve something else. But we all, in the end, are going to serve somebody. And we get a picture of this when Jesus was approached uh, by a young man one day, and, and here's how their conversation went. Matthew 19, starting at verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? Uh, there is only one who is good. I, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to them, Well, which, which ones? Which ones do you want me to keep? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall not, uh, uh, and you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow, the Ten Commandments. And the young man looks at Jesus in the eye, and he says, I've, I've done all these. I've checked all of those boxes. 
I've kept all of those commandments. Look at me. I have it all, Jesus. I have wealth. I have position. And I've checked all of the boxes on what it means to be a good person. I've checked all the boxes on what it means to really be complete, to have it all down. And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What an interesting question he asked. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What can I do to guarantee that I have eternal life? I have everything else. I want to make sure. How much does it cost? I'll write you a check. I'll give you a credit card. What else do you want me to do? I've kept the commandments. I've done those things. What must I do? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And I want you to understand something this morning, that Jesus loved this young man. He loved this young man. But he gave him the answer that the young man needed. He gave him exactly the answer that he needed. It was a challenge that must have startled everyone that was listening. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Here's what we learn. Jesus wasn't really concerned about this young guy's wealth. He was concerned about his heart, and he knew that his wealth owned his heart. That's what really mattered to Jesus. It wasn't about his money. It wasn't about his status. It was about what owned his heart. And he could see that his wealth was his God. His wealth owned his heart. If we want to live a generous life, we can only worship one God. There's only room in our lives to worship one God. And and it needs to be the Lord. Jesus teaches us how to find out if <laughs> Jesus teaches us how to find out if money and stuff has become our God. You know what he says? You want to know how to find out if money and stuff has become your God? <laughs> Give it away. How's that work for you? Darn! I wasn't thinking you were going to say that. Wait, it was, it was, I was tracking there for a second, huh? Jesus says, if you want to find out if it's a real problem in your life, then start giving and see what that does. Are you able to give? Are you able to be generous? We'll learn what's important in our lives by our generosity. Has it become an idol to you? Has it become what you worship? In ancient days, it's a great story that probably many of you know that when the king of Siam had an enemy that he really wanted to punish, I mean severely punish, the, the king of Siam would give them a precious gift. And, and uh, this precious gift was a white elephant, an albino elephant. They were considered holy in that culture. They were considered so precious that you had to take care of it. You had uh, to feed it. You had to do everything you could to preserve that white elephant. And, and, so, and, if, and if you're ever, now you know where we get the idea of white elephant gifts, right? 
because the king of Siam would give his enemies this white elephant, and they were so expensive and so time-consuming and so, so amazingly difficult to take care of that the enemy who had the white elephant would spend all of his resources and all of his energy and everything that he had caring for that white elephant. It would eventually bankrupt him, and it would destroy his enemy by giving him this precious gift, by giving him this thing that was considered costly. And could it be that the enemy of this world has made such a gift to many of us that most every believer in America is rich by the rest of the world's standards, so perhaps our prosperity has come by our acceptance of the white elephant gift that we work so hard to preserve what we have. We so work so hard to protect what we have, to get more of what we have, that it leads to our destruction, that it makes us self-focused. The good life that consumes most of our energy has the potential to slowly destroy us. What if? Now, the third thing So we've talked about fear. We've talked about you're going to serve somebody or something. And the third thing that I would like you to consider this morning is this. It's the myth of independence. The myth that says if I can just get secure enough, if I can just get enough, uh, if I can just gather enough stuff and just get enough money, I can be completely independent, don't owe anybody, don't don't have to worry about anybody, don't have to play to anybody's tune. I can do it all on my own. And Jesus gives us a picture of that as well in the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 15, it's the story of the prodigal son. We're just going to read verse 13. It says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So you, you know the story that there was a, there was a, a father and he was, had a wealthy estate And in fact, Tim Keller, uh, this author, has written a book called The Prodigal God because he said this story is really more about the father than it is about either of the two sons in the story because it's about the father's generosity. But the son, this youngest son, looked at his father's estate and, and one day he went to his father and he said, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. I know I get all this inheritance when you die, but I'm just tired of, you're living too long. I'm tired of waiting for you. So I want my inheritance now. Could you just cut me a check, give me my inheritance now, because I've got things I want to do. I want to be free. I don't want to have to work here at this place anymore. I don't want to have to live under this roof. I want to be on my own, my own person, live my own life. And, and his father, in his incredible love and his incredible graciousness, said, okay, and he gave him his part of the estate. And we know the story. The young man went out, and he partied like crazy, and he used all of that money on wild, crazy things in his life. And he, he, he did everything that he could possibly do. He did everything that he could invent, everything that we would want to try. He did it all until something happened. The economy died in their country. In, in biblical times, that was usually because of a famine. A famine hit. And there were no crops, there were no income, there was no food. And everybody was struggling. And this young man ran out of money and all of a sudden his friends disappeared and he's on his own. And you know the story that he found a pig farmer that he could work for to feed his pigs and that he finally one day realized that even my father's hired servants eat better than I do. Even they have more 
than I do. So he, he, he thought of this speech, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against you and I don't have any right to be your son, but if you just hire me as a slave, just hire me as a servant, let me work here. But if you read the story, you, you're, you're amazed by the generosity of the father that he, he's been looking every day. He's been waiting for his son. And, and when he sees his son down the road, he spots him and, and he drops everything and he runs to his son. And before his son can even start his speech, the father throws his arms around his son and he hugs him and he welcomes him home and he calls the servants and he puts a ring on his finger and a cloak around him and shoes on his feet. And he says, my son who is lost, he is home. My son who is dead is alive. We're going to throw a party because my son is back. He's here. He's still my son. He still belongs to me. I never let him go. I never gave up on him. He's still my son. And here this young man, he thought he was independent. He thought he was free to go wherever he wanted. He thought he was free to spend his money in any way he wanted and, and to pursue whatever he felt like pursuing. And, and this is what most people would call freedom. There's no accountability. There's no restraints. It, it's just come take what's yours and go for it. And, and we all assume that for a little while it seemed to be working. He seemed to be having a, a pretty good time. And maybe we all wonder sometimes what it would feel like to be able to color outside the lines occasionally in our lives. That's what he did to do whatever we want to do. Maybe to have the financial stability that we could do whatever we want. No restraints, no limit. But the economy went bad. And in this case, due to a famine, the young man's resources were spent. And the Bible tells us that he began to be in need. He began to be desperate. Everything changed. And he needed a father. He wasn't so good at being independent anymore. He wasn't so good at being on his own anymore. And as much as we try, we were created to live a life that God created us to live. We were, a, we were a people that were created to live a life with, on the tracks that God has built for us, going the direction that he's called us to, that we won't experience freedom until we experience freedom in who Christ is in our lives. We'll never fill up the hole in our heart. We'll keep our whole lives trying to cram things into that hole in our heart until we realize that nothing will fill it except the love of the Father and Christ in our lives. That that's the only thing that can make us feel whole the only thing that make, can make us feel complete, and the only thing in our lives that will ever offer us real freedom. So this morning, I'd like to give us three choices that we all have to make, or three choices at least that I would encourage you to make this morning. And the first one is this, choose trust over fear. Choose trust over fear. What do you worry about? What, what keeps you up at night? What, what is it that you worry about? Some of us are really gifted worriers, right? Some of us are good at that. We've made worrying an art form. We just know how to do it. Maybe that's our deal. How do we choose trust over worry? How do we say, Lord, I know that you're bigger than this. I give those worries to you. I trust you with everything in my life. And I know that I can't add an hour to my life by worrying over things, but that I belong to you. Choose trust over fear. The second thing 
is choose whom you'll serve. Choose whom you'll serve. Who, who do you serve this morning? If you really looked hard at your life, do you, would you be honest and say, you know, I've been, I've, been, I've been serving something that doesn't lead to eternal life. I've been serving something that doesn't lead to real freedom. I, I've been serving my own, my own needs, my own fears, my own uh, self-centeredness. I, I, I've, been, I, I've been serving, you know, a buck. I've been serving getting things. I, whatever it is, I've been serving getting to security. Whatever it is, what is it that you've been serving? And choose whom you'll serve. And what I hope you'll, that the conclusion that you'll come to is that the only one who is worthy of serving is Christ and who he is. And we'll be honest with ourselves about what that looks like and how we go about it. And the third thing is to choose humility. Not to live a life thinking, if I can just get this, if I can just get another step, I can make this happen. Not to be like the rich young ruler who said, what do I need to check off my list next, God? What can I accomplish that will give me eternal life? What can I accomplish that will give me security, that will give me real freedom? Because we don't do it. We can't accomplish that. It only comes through faith in Christ. It only comes by a life that's committed and submitted to him. So let's trade in our arrogance. Let's trade in our sense of I have to do it on my own. And let's come before the Lord and know that it's through him and through he is, who he is in our lives that we will experience real, honest-to-goodness freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. We thank you, Lord, that your word is true. And Lord, that you love us so much that you often speak right into the very thing that we're trying to hide the most that your desire is to expose that in our hearts, Lord, so that we can give it to you, so that you can heal it, so that you can fill us by your spirit and give us the freedom that our hearts long for. And so, Lord, we confess that we're frail. We confess that we fail. Uh, we, we confess, Lord, that we have chased after the wrong things often in our lives. And, and Lord, we simply ask that you would forgive us, that we come to you in humility this morning, Lord, asking for your grace and asking for your strength. And Lord, in that, we will be careful to give you the praise and the glory that it's not for us, but it's for your sake, it's for your kingdom. And so, Lord, we thank you for that and we commit it all to you in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Awesome. We have uh, prayer partners here this morning, and if you would like to be prayed for, I would encourage you to stop by there. That's a great gift. And um, if you guys would get your communion cups on your way out, because I'm hearing them, it's awesome. Uh, and uh, uh, but we have our prayer partners over here. I'd love to, if you, we'd love to pray with you and for you today. And also our prayer table. You can record your prayer requests, write them down, and. And I, I say this all the time, but our staff really does love to do that. We pray every Monday over all of those prayer requests. Uh, we have some repeat prayer requests, and we just keep a repeat list that we pray every week, every week. And so some of y'all are going to have to tell us to back off. I'm feeling way too good, uh, or whatever it is, because we keep praying for you until we hear, uh, we hear something. So uh, we, we do. We love praying with you and for you. So take advantage of those things. And, and here is my prayer, is that we will be free. 
uh, that we will experience the love of Christ and the generosity of our Heavenly Father in such a way that we will live in his freedom. Not a freedom that we try to create, but in a freedom that he gives to live our lives the way he created us to live. I love you guys. I hope you have a great, great day. God bless.